And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. I can see you right now in the kitchen, bending over a hot stove, but I can't see the stove. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow knows. <laughs> Would you mind telling me whose brain I did put in? And you won't be angry. I will not be angry. Abby someone. Abby someone. Abby who? Abby normal. What do you do, Carl? Carl is a inventor slash entrepreneur. Yeah, I'm still looking for that home run, you know? I mean, when I saw the iPod first time, I was like, yeah, I gotta kick myself. That was so hard on him. What's your name? Carl's my name. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. Roger. Ready to move out. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This time, it's part two of You Bet Your Life, starring Groucho Marx from 1949. Then, we'll hear a thrilling drama on NBC short story from 1951. With me, as always, is my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hey, Carl. Hey, uh, and hi, Mike Costello. Hi. Hey, what's going on? Okay. You know, last time, uh, we began listening to a show that, re- that Lisa really has begun to like. Oh, you really I, like. I love that show. You Bet Your Life. I She's sure do. She's all about it. She's like, hey, play more You Bet Your Life. So uh, is it because you like Groucho Marx? I mean, he's uh, he's great on this show, yeah, right? Yeah, I just like the whole concept. The whole ad living yeah, with the with the contestants and then them winning uh, winning money. It's a it's a great show. So we started listening to this broadcast from October nineteenth, nineteen forty nine. The secret word is clock. Here's Groucho Marx now in the conclusion to "You Bet Your Life." They're off to a good start. They have thirty dollars. Now remember, you're going for two thousand dollars tonight. How much of your thirty dollars will you bet? Twenty-five. What kind of an animal is a shire? S H I R E. It's a goat. No, um, uh, I'm sorry. It's a horse. It's they now horse. have five dollars. Well, Roger. now you've only got five dollars. Now here's your third question. How much of the five are you going to try? Shoot the five. Shoot the five. All right. What is a Plymouth Rock? Chicken. The chicken is correct. They're on their way again. They have ten dollars. Here's your last chance to beat the other couples. How much of the ten dollars you're going to risk? Shoot the ten. Shoot the ten. What kind of an animal is a Holstein? It's a cow. It's a cow is correct. They wind up with twenty dollars, Groucho, and on top of that, they said the secret word, so they got an extra hundred dollars. Thanks and good luck from Elgin American Compacts. Now, in just one minute, our last couple will play you bet your life, and then we know who gets the two thousand dollar question. Now then, we'll soon know who's going to earn the most money and get the chance at the $2,000 question. George, who's ahead so far? The usher and the soda fountain girl are leading with $115. Our final couple has been in a waiting room off stage, so they don't know the secret word is clock. And here they are. A volunteer from the Traveler's Aid Society, Miss Nora Broach, and ship's purser Glenwood Hines, meet Groucho Marx. Hello, folks, and welcome to You Bet Your Life. If you say the secret word at any time we're talking, I'll pay $100 in cash instantly. It's a common word, something you see every day. Mrs. Uh, Brooch? Miss Brooch. Miss Brooch, uh, that's a good name for a woman on a jewelry show, isn't it? <laughs> Mrs. Uh, Bro- I'll call you Nora, huh? All right. <laughs> You're with the Traveler's Aid, eh? Uh, tell me, just where do you travel? I don't travel. Well, where are you from? Uh, Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. 
How'd you get here? I took a train. Pretty smooth article, isn't you? <laughs> it isn't easy swiping a train. You know. <laughs> they leave those telltale tracks all the time. I say, Hines, Glenwood Hines, huh? Sir. You sound like a summer resort. <laughs> No, you asked somebody, where have you been? He said, I was up to Glenwood Hines for a couple of weeks. <laughs> now, Pacer, what do you do on your ship besides snatch purses? Oh, I uh, listen to people's complaints and uh, make out the payroll. Tell me something about your, your uh, boat. Well, uh, it isn't a boat, it's a ship. Wise guy. <laughs> Well, how much do you charge for a bucket of live bait on your ship? Passenger ship. Passenger. Passenger ship. How much do you charge for a bucket of live passengers on your ship? (laughs) Just where does your mudscow go? Uh, All the romantic far-off places like Singapore, Cairo, Bali, Bali? No, we go to Catalina. (laughs) That's romantic. Catalina, is that the total length of your voyage? From Los Angeles to Catalina? No, uh, go to... Where else do you go? Catalina to Los Angeles. Man, the lifeboat's made, I struck a rock. Uh, how big is your ship, uh, Glenwood? Oh, it's about 300 feet long, 52 feet in width. What's her capacity? Oh, it's about uh, 1,950 passengers. Is that fully loaded? Well, the ship, not the passengers. <laughs> You're turning into a joke snatcher. You know? <laughs> I was laying for that joke, too. <laughs> now, tell me, Moby Dick, uh, how long is... <laughs> How long is this tramp steamer you're on? How long is it? How long does it take to make your Catalina trip? Which way? Any way but down. Huh? How long to Avalon? It takes about uh, two hours and ten minutes. Sir. And uh, coming back? About two hours. Why, why is it faster coming back? Is it downhill? <laughs> no, uh, it's, uh, we take a different route and it's a little shorter. You take a different route? And it's why, you shorter. get sick of the scenery on the <laughs> You ever get seasick? No. Has the airplane business, uh, hurt the uh, boat business much going on? Uh, I don't know. Airplane passengers, they get seasick and they come aboard, take the ship ride mm-hmm. and vice versa. Mm-hmm. I never took the vice versa. Is that boat? From That's a much smaller boat, isn't it? Now, what do these what do these people do once they reach Catalina? Well, they usually uh, go up to the famous Bird Park, Seal Rock Colony, and they also take the uh, famous glass bottom boat ride. Glass bottom boat. Glass bottom boat. Yes, sir. I've heard of boxes with glass jaws, but never with glass. <laughs> well, never mind. <laughs> why do why do why do they have a glass bottom? Well, so they can uh, see the marine life. Well, some of those marines have very interesting lives. (laughs) (laughs) However, I didn't know you could see them through a glass-bottom boat. (laughs) Well, let's get back to you, uh, Nora. 
It's good to see you again. Did you have a nice trip? <laughs> I haven't traveled anywhere. <laughs> well, it's done you a lot of good, anyway. <laughs> As a traveler's aid worker, just what do you do? Oh, we help people who come into the station uh, who are lost. We give them information and direction service. Well, what do you get for all this trouble? That's, uh... <laughs> I don't get paid for it. It's volunteer service. And why do you go to all this trouble if you don't get paid for it? <laughs> Hanging around the station. Well, it's very interesting work, and there's a good deal of satisfaction in helping people. Well, that's a wonderful philosophy. Uh, do you have any other job, Nora? Yes, I work at the Los Angeles Credit Managers Association. Well, uh, what are your hours there? Uh, from 8 o'clock in the morning until 4.30 in the afternoon. If I'd only learn to keep my big mouth shut, huh? <laughs> well, Nora, you just said clock, and that's the secret word tonight, so you just made yourself $100. <laughs> I see the sailor is horning in on it already. <laughs> a typical sailor, huh? Well, you make a very interesting couple, and to show you our appreciation, Fenneman has some attractive gifts from our sponsors. Now you're going to play your bet your life. If you beat our other two couples, you'll get a crack at the $2,000. I can't tell you how much they won, but George is off stage to remind our listeners. The usher and the soda fountain girl are still ahead with $115. Let's see how high you can build you $20. What question category did you select? Capitals of the world. Mm. Capital cities of the world. Here's yes. your first question. How much will you bet? $10. $10. What is the capital city of Spain? Madrid. Madrid is correct. <laughs> Off to a good start. They have $30. Remember, you're going for $2,000 tonight. How much of your $30 will you try? Fifteen. Fifteen. What is the capital city of Iraq? I-R-A-Q. Iraq. Take a stab. I'm sorry. It's Baghdad. That was a tough one. They now have $15. All right. You've got $15. Here's your third question. How much of the 15 will you try? Ten. Ten. What is the capital city of the Republic of Israel? Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv is right. Yeah. Well, they're on their way again. They have $25. All right, you've got $25. Here's your last chance to beat the other couples. How much of the $25 are you going to risk? $20. $20. What is the capital city of Greece? Athens. Athens, Athens is right. And they wound up with $45, Groucho. And on top of that, they said the secret word, so they got an extra $100. And that means the usher and the soda fountain girl with $115... Get the chance at the $2,000 question. And here's the winning couple, Groucho, the usher and the soda fountain girl. Well, back again to try for $2,000, eh? Good luck, and I'll give you 15 seconds to decide on a single answer between you, so talk it over thoroughly and no help in the audience, please. Here it is. The east and the west were finally linked together when a golden spike was driven at Promontory Point, completing the first transcontinental railroad. In what state is Promontory Point? Mr. Maloof, what is the answer you two have decided upon? Wyoming. Oh, I, I'm sorry. The correct answer is Utah. Oh. So that means the big question next week will be worth $2,500. But for beating our other couples, Groucho, they each receive the amazing new Apollo 16-millimeter movie projector to show Hollywood sound movies and the moving pictures you take yourself. And in addition, you receive those lovely gifts from Elgin American, and you won $115. That makes it a very profitable evening all around. Congratulations, and thanks to both of you. Thank you. The Elgin American Show, You Bet Your Life, is a John Goodell production. Transcribed from Hollywood, directed by Bob Dwan and Bernie Smith. Music by Jerry Fielding. 
Remember, next week's Big Question pays $2,500. Be sure to tune in again next Wednesday night at this time for You Bet Your Life, starring Groucho Marx, presented by the creators of America's most beautiful compacts and finest dresser sets, Elgin American. Good night, folks. Have you looked at your compact lately? That's You Bet Your Life, starring Groucho Marx from October 19, 1949. The uh, assistant there and announcer, George Fenneman, is heard on ABC. Hope you enjoyed You Bet Your Life. We'll have more of those on future editions of Hollywood 360. Right now, let's take a break. When we come back, it's NBC Short Story. Stick around. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Welcome back. I'm Carl Amari. This is Hollywood 360. And it's time now for NBC Short Story. This was an anthology series. Came to NBC Radio in 1951. And it was radio adaptations of works by famous writers like Edgar Allan Poe, Mary Shelley, F. Scott Fitzgerald, William Faulkner, John Steinbeck, Ray Bradbury, and many others. The scripts were by George Lefferts and Ernest Canoy and others, and it was directed by Andrew C. Love. The cast members included Parley Bear, Jeff Corey, Howard Culver, John Daner, Paul Fries, Virginia Gregg, and many others. We have an episode now for you called I Am Not a Stranger. It's from May 11, 1951. Here's part one of NBC's short story. NBC presents Short Story. Tonight, I Am Not a Stranger by James Street. Some of the finest short stories of the decade, and certainly the most engaging, have turned up in the pages of what are known in the trade as the Slick Magazines. Tonight, as NBC presents Short Story, we turn to a southern romance which appeared first in the pages of the Saturday Evening Post and was included in an excellent anthology of post stories. The story, I Am Not a Stranger by James Street. Here now, I Am Not a Stranger by James Street. The rain had begun, a gentle southern rain. Since leaving Richmond, Virginia, all the towns had begun to look alike. A square, a Confederate monument, a post office cafe. But this last town was different. There was a sign on the outskirts. Town of Lystra. Please drive carefully. We love our children. As I approached the town square, I pulled over to the curb. A girl was sitting on a bench under a spreading live oak. She had no umbrella, and the rain was blowing against her in a spray. She glanced up and smiled, as though we were old friends. She tilted back her head and laughed. Hey, what do you do up in New York when it rains? We get in out of the wet, those of us who are sane. <laughs> she leaned against the tree as though there was nothing left in all the world except her and the rain and the joy of sitting there. I started my car and drove around the square to the Lister Hotel. A fat man sat rocking on the porch when I came up. <sighs> Um, uh, I beg your pardon. <clears throat> I need a room for the uh, night. Most folks do. They got the register out here. Saves walking into the desk. Hey, use your own fountain pen. Mine ain't had ink in since last March 15th for the tax papers. I've got mine. Yeah. Uh-huh. Laren W. McCall, Malone, New York. Mm -hmm. 
Scotch, huh? Probably, way back. I don't uh, know. What's the W for? Winton. Is it important? No, no, no. My middle initial is W for Worth. Last name's Culpepper. We don't get many folks from New York. No, I guess not. Say, uh, what time is dinner, sir? I mean, supper. 6.30. But I wouldn't eat here if I was you. Why not? It's your hotel, isn't it? Well, I'll tell you, Mr. McCall. I set the best dinner table in North Carolina. Been doing it for 43 years. Always the same price, four bits. But stuff is so high now that to make out on my four-bit dinner, I got to scrimp on supper. So... I don't brag about my suppers. Do you eat supper here? No, no. I generally eat up at the Morgan place. Mrs. Morgan sets the best supper table in North Carolina. Four bits. She lays it on, but uh, she scrimps on dinner. Well, that's good enough for me. Now, uh, about my room. You ever been to a country hotel before? Yes. Well, then ain't no use of climbing them steps just to see your room. It's 18 by 14 with two windows, inkwell, no ink, and a Gideon Bible and bathroom down the hall. Uh, tub drips. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, She's still out there, isn't she? Who? That girl sitting in the rain. Looks like a statue. Wait. That's it. You ain't talking streets, I huh? knew there was something strange about this town. Lister is the first town I've passed south of Richmond without a Confederate monument. The whole town's a monument, son. That girl sitting out there. Is it a custom in Lister to sit out in the rain? Yeah, it's her custom. She's getting up. Yeah, likely she'll come over here after a while. She's Leah Beth Morgan. She's a very beautiful girl. Uh-huh. She has her mother's looks and her daddy's soul. Her daddy's dead. Some folks say her daddy drank himself to death. But here in Lystra, we know he was mommicked. Mommicked? Mm-hmm. Huh. I've never heard that word used before. Yeah, you'll hear it in these parts. You know what it means? Yes, happens I do. That's my field, archaic words, old legends. I'm down here to do my thesis on American myths for the University of North Carolina. And you know what them old words mean, huh? Bonic? Sure. Means destroyed, eaten up, right? That's right. Leah Beth's daddy sure was mommicked. Married Bernice Connor, prettiest darling in the county. She didn't kill him. She just wrung his spirit dry. And he withered. Leah Beth Morgan. Morgan? That where you eat supper? Yeah, she's a mommick, all right. But she still sets the best supper table in North Carolina. Hey, Mr. Cole. I told you she'd be over. Hey, Lee Beth. What'll we do if it rains, Mr. Cole? Well, just let it rain, honey. Now, come over here and meet a friend of mine. Honey, this is Mr. McCall. Laren W. McCall. The W is for Winton. How do you do? Nice to meet you. Yeah, he's from Malone, New York. Aims to eat at your house. He'll be glad to have you. He's curious why there ain't no Confederate monument. Oh, I just happened to notice that Nana's here. I'm a school teacher, history, and I'm making a study of the South. And you never heard of Lystra? Is it famous for something besides beauty and hospitality? <laughs> I suppose you two walk on up to the house and she can tell you about the town. I'll be along directly. 
Coming, Mr. McCall? Thank you. That's the first portion of NBC Short Story. More after these words. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Now back to NBC Short Story. I wouldn't think you'd been sitting in the rain. You're not wet. The tree keeps me dry. Only a fine mist seeps through. You sit there for any reason? I like to sit in the rain. (laughs) When it rains, I want an umbrella. (laughs) That takes all the fun out of it. Like swimming with your clothes on or sleeping with the window down. I'll bet you even think the rainbow's just a spectrum instead of the hem of heaven's gown. I never really thought about it. Here in Lystra, we call it the hem of heaven's gown. We like it that way. Guess maybe I do, too. Now, Mr. Culpepper told me this whole town is a monument. Lystra's where none came back. All the young men volunteered and rode away to the Confederate Army. They rode away one night. None came back. None? Not a one. They were all killed. So, you see, we don't need a monument. Lister herself is monument enough. They went off on white horses wearing yellow sashes. They always do. And none came back. I've been through Civil War records trying to trace down that very myth, and no company suffered complete obliteration. Lister Company did. They were all killed. They all rode away together one night and vanished. Every young man in town. Turn left here. That's our place, Mr. McCall. Oh, I thought you might live in a place that looked like that. I could see those columns in my mind. Mama wouldn't sell the old house. She wouldn't leave the magnolias. I can believe it. It fits. That Julia bed? Yes, Mama. This is Mr. McCall. How'd you do, Mr. McCall? Having supper with us. Interested in Lystra. Glad to welcome you, Mr. McCall. I'm here working on my doctorate in history. I was going to study the myth of the Mecklenburg Declaration, but I think maybe I've found a more interesting legend. Who are your people? Mama. Now, when I was a girl, Leabeth, that was a perfectly proper question. That's all right. My folks came from Watertown originally. My father moved to Buffalo and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep those skeletons back in the closet. Spare us the bones. Besides, I'm hungry. It's time for supper. <laughs> oh, no, that's about as much coffee as I can take. You're sure now, Mr. Cole? Well, sir, Mr. McCall, did I steer you right? Every bit as good as you said. Leobeth, since Mr. McCall is interested in history, why not show him the sword in the tree? If he wants to see it. Of course he wants to see it. Now, be as sensible as you are, pretty, and take him out back. Mama! Go on now. Besides, I've got to pick up the table. That's it. That's the sword in the tree. Hmm. Who put it there? One of those who rode away and never came back. You came here to pay respects to your grandmother? My aunt was living here. She was my great-great-aunt, really. She was 22, my age. They called her a maiden lady. 
The night the soldiers rode away, her lover came up to tell her goodbye. He came up that path yonder. Mm Mm-hmm. Was he riding a white horse? Yes, a white horse. He was wearing a yellow sash, and they met here in the garden. Tree was just a little sapling, and he stuck his sword into the trunk and told her that as long as his sword remained there, the honor of this house would be without blemish. Tree grew up round the sword, but there it is, still there. May I come back by daylight and see it? By daylight? If you want to. I like it better in the moonlight. Evening, Mr. McCall. Did you see the sword in the tree? Yes. Going back tomorrow to look at it by daylight. Yeah, looks nicer in the moonlight. Sure, but you can see better when the sun is up. They say hereabouts that moonlight don't mommock. I've known the moon to destroy things. Yeah, depends on your point of view. Folks in Lystra have been talking about that sword in the tree since the young men all rode off that night. What happened to Leobeth's aunt, the maiden lady? Is she pine away? Uh-huh, that's right, son. Uh, baby lived a few weeks. Oh. Uh-huh. They had a mighty fine rector here then, so the story goes. He wasn't too good to fib a bit for the Lord. He said he'd married him. How about a license or a certificate? Uh, records in them days are pretty skimpy. She waited and waited for the boy to come back. Then she punied. Died of a broken heart. Well... Good night, son. I'll holly you up in the morning for breakfast. I went up to my room and listened to the katydids in the square and the voices as the last hope piled out of the post office cafe. I could hear the creak of the rocker on the porch as old Mr. Cull dozed in the moonlight. I had my thesis now. A town drugged in the moonlight, roads still echoing to the dash of the hooves, and the flicker of yellow sashes as the boys rode away to the lost cause. I'd heard that story a thousand times, and yet, in Lystra, somehow it was stronger. Bright and early the next morning, I sauntered up to the Morgan place. Just as I expected, it wasn't the same by day. The paint was peeling off the gate, There were bare spots on the lawn, and the columns were gray with age and decay. I walked around to the rose garden. The bushes needed trimming, and verbena was rank. I went to the tree and examined the sword. Morning, Mr. McCall. Uh, Oh. (laughs) Do you usually lie on the grass in the dew, Leobeth? When I like to. Don't you? Uh, Not as a rule. I I came to see the sword. Did you? Well, go ahead. Take a good long look. Uh Huh. Oh, what? Why, it isn't a sword at all. It's an old scythe blade. Look at it. I've seen it. Some farmhand must have hung his scythe on the tree and forgotten that the tree grew around it. The handle rotted away. It's real cool in the dew. Why don't you take off those shoes and try it? Well, you can see it plainly. It's an old scythe. Is it? We thought it was a sword. Oh, look. Here's the place for the handle. That's well, a scythe blade, all right. You've got a real northern imagination right enough. Spoil most anything for yourself. Don't go away, Leobeth. You are a mommick, all right. Must be great to know the difference between a sword and a scythe. Between the bitter truth and a beautiful illusion. Now what are you looking at? Oh, uh, it's amazing. Amazing. As I look at this blade again... What about it now? 
Why, heavens above, this is the first curved Highland broadsword I've ever seen. Some might erroneously call it a claymore. A curved Highland broadsword? Huh? Well, at last your knowledge has taken on some gentlemanly qualities. Leah Beth. Why did you kiss me? Seemed the right thing to do. Further, I was overcome. It's gonna rain. Uh-huh. Let's just let it rain. There. There's the first drop. Let's go down to the square. There'll be a fine mist under the live oak. You can just sit there till the sun drives the rain away. There'll be a rainbow, Leabeth. There always is. It'll be the hem of heaven's gown. You are a gentleman. Leabeth, I love you. I love you in the rain. I love you barefoot in the dew. Laren, give me your hand. We gotta get down to the square. The rain won't last. A week later, I asked her to marry me. We were sitting in the back gallery of her home, overlooking the rose garden, and there, dim in the moonlight, was the scythe blade in the tree. I could see it glimmer faintly as I proposed. What about your work, your, your thesis? Well, I meant to talk to you about that, Leah Beth. You know, I meant to do my work on myths, legends in the South. I know. Well, I'd like to do my thesis on Lystra. Well, that would be fun. Maybe I could help. <laughs> you don't understand. I want to explore the legends of Lystra. No monument, none came back, all that story. Well, why not? Well, I might hurt people here if I find out the truth. You'll never learn. Lystra doesn't prize your ideas as highly as you do. Uh, oh, they don't, huh? Right? All right, then that's my thesis, Lystra. I'll write the fables and then the facts. Have you got the facts? I can get them quick enough. Even if I can't get the name of the farmhand who left that scythe in the tree, I can get enough evidence to blow up that myth. Is that a fact? Well, now, I do declare. You go ahead, darling. You won't bother Lystra. Maybe I will, and maybe I ought to. Leah Beth, don't you see what's happened to Lystra? You've been drugged. Doped by that legend, smothered in southern comfort. Oh, you do run on. Go ahead, darling. I like the way Yankees talk. Well, don't you want to wake up, Leah Beth? Don't you want to know what today feels like and tomorrow? I know what the rain feels like. I can see the moonlight in the garden. Oh, sure, sure. I can see it, too, gleaming on that scythe blade. Don't you see? That's what makes the legend of Lystra. Things like that blade. It's pretty, isn't it? Do you think that's the way it looked when that boy rode up on his horse, waving the sword in the moonlight? You don't understand at all, do you, Leabeth? With a yellow sash. I like a yellow sash. Don't you? I went back to Mr. Culpepper's that night. Mr. Cole was rocking on the porch. Mr. Cole, you ever get fed up with folk wisdom? Mm, yeah... When I was a young fellow, I told my daddy Lystra was pokey. That was the word we used then. Pokey. It's a good word still. So I picked up and went north to college. Harvard. You went to Harvard, Mr. Cole? Mm-hmm. Got a diploma somewhere in that roll-top desk. But I found out there was one question we could answer better back down here in Lystra. So I came back home. Been here ever since. What was the question they couldn't answer in Harvard, Mr. Cole? What do you do when it rains? Oh, oh. 
Don't tell me. I know. Let it rain. Let it rain. <laughs> You're learning, son. Well, Mr. Carl, I'm going to blow Lister higher than a kite. You know, that, that's a scythe blade in the tree at the Morgan place. Yeah, it looks pretty in the moonlight. That's what Leah Beth says. Mr. Carl, any of your people in the Lister company that didn't come back? Mm-hmm. Great, Uncle. Well, I'm going to find out what happened to him and the rest of the lot. White horses, yellow sashes and all. Well, have a good time, son. Enjoy yourself. The records in the Lister Town Hall only went back to 1867. So I wired the Historical Society at Asheville for a copy of the North Carolina Muster Books for 1860. Then I started to collect the legends of the town. Oh, I'd heard them all before. But here in Lystra, they had a brighter shine. Like that blade gleaming in the moonlight. He just came riding up the road, waving that sword in the moonlight, and, and the roses just hid their heads. It was so sad. And then he, they rode away. The whole company with yellow sashes waving behind them. Soon there wasn't nothing but a cloud of dust on the old courthouse road. And none came back. They all rode away, but none came back. The women folks kept staring off down the road, waiting, waiting. The war was over, and the men came straggling back to the other towns. But in Lystra, none came back. It was easy to get the fables. But the facts, that was something else again. Lister Company was missing from the state muster book for 1860 through 65. Every night I'd go to see Leah Beth, and we'd sit in the back gallery overlooking the rose garden. I'd look at that scythe blade in the moonlight. By day I could see it plainly, a rusty farm tool hung in that tree by accident. But at night, with Leah Beth by my side, it took on a magic became a sword blade. A fairy sword blade thrust into that tree by a dashing prince who was off to the wards. Don't you see, Laren? He left his sword as a pledge of honor. He would have come back to marry her, but none came back. And that sword stands to this day, a pledge of our family's honor. Leabeth, what was the name of your great-great-aunt? The maiden lady who was left holding the... Uh, waiting? Leabeth. Come on now, no kidding. Her name was Leah Beth. Well, your mother was just the kind to name a child after the family martyr. All right, now, what was the name of the cavalier who rode off into nowhere? You won't believe me, Laren. What do you mean? What was his name? I know you won't believe me. Huh? Now, oh, now, wait, wait a minute. Don't try to tell me his name was McCall. You can't write me into this dream. No, Laren, his name wasn't McCall. It was Culpepper. Laren Winton Culpepper. No wonder you looked at me strangely when I first came here. We didn't look strangely at you. That's your imagination. We understand coincidence. Coincidence? That's a masterpiece of understatement. Well, of course you heard my maiden aunt had a son. There's no doubt that her baby died in case you care. Oh, I wasn't even thinking about that. Here I come down here, totally unrelated to the situation, and by a coincidence of names... Is that really it, Laren? There. There's the path he rode away. Laren Winton, who left his sword in the tree as a pledge to his love. And Leabeth stood here in the back gallery and watched him ride off. Sometime, somehow she knew he'd come back. 
There's his pledge of honor. All of Lister knew he'd come back. Somehow. And now Laren's come back for Leah Beth. Is that it? You're here, darling. Oh, it's a coincidence. The names are accidental. It's got to be. Nobody would believe it. We would here in Lystra. We know. That night, I girded up my coupe and drove north. I had to pick up some of my papers and books. Then I wanted to see my dad and tell him about Leah Beth. We sat on the porch, and he smoked that horrible rum and maple straw of his. Any good time down south, son? I'm going to marry a girl down there. What kind of a girl is she? She, uh... She sits bare-legged in the rain. Good for her. She's a strange girl, Dad. Yeah, they're all strange, son. It's a question of degree. Hear that? Thunder. Probably rain. Well, let it rain. What? I said just let it rain. <laughs> That's funny. I haven't heard that expression in a long time. Your mother used to say it. She did? Yeah. Dad, I was named for Mother's father, wasn't I? That's right, Lyron Winton. He was a lawyer in Watertown, born and bred there. Dad, where did he get his name? Your great-grandfather was Lyron Winton, too. We never knew much about him. He could have dropped Culpepper. Huh? Was Culpepper a spice? Huh? Oh, no. No, name. Old Lyron Winton became a sort of a family legend. You mean we have legends, too? Oh, Sure. Your mother used to tell the story over and over, just for fun. He said he come from Missouri, but it must have been awful far south in Missouri, the way he talked. He was a strange man. He kept to himself. It was during the Civil War, and the chances were he was a deserter. Deserter? Well, lots of southern men turned up north and vice versa. I used to kid your mother. <laughs> he called him a horse thief. Why a horse thief? <laughs> Well, he was poor as Job's turkey when he first came to Watertown, but he had a fine white horse. Oh. And a yellow sash. Where are you going, son? I want to get back to Leah Beth. I'll bring her up to see you, Dad. Bye. I couldn't wait. I had to be with my beloved and tell her that Laren Winton had come back for Leah Beth. I wanted to pull that sword out of the tree and tell her that her family's honor was redeemed. Such sentiment is a lover's privilege. I sped south over the Jersey Flats through Washington into the south. It was night again when I drove into Lystra. Hey, Mr. McCall, been up to see your dad? How'd you know that, Mr. Call? I'm a good guesser, son. Better than you think. You find out about Laren Winton? <laughs> Just keep on guessing, Mr. Call. Keep guessing. <laughs> Suddenly it came to me, clear as a church bell on a frosty night, that I must never tell Leah Beth or anybody else. That if Mr. Cull guessed, he'd never tell. For it might be true that Laren Winton ran away, deserted Lister in the South, and Leah Beth. That he had left his honor behind and saved his skin. And if that were so, then Lister was no longer the place where none came back. The fabric of the dream would fall apart. It'd be just like any other southern town. They might even erect a Confederate monument. They might cut down the live oak on the square and put one there. I was in such a hurry to see Leabeth that I ground the innards on my car. It was just an old coupe with a bad clutch, but I could make believe it was a white horse. The door to the dreams of Lister is closed to no man, even a Ph.D., 
So let the scythe be a sword. Let Lystra remain the town where none came back. And when it rains, let it rain. I'm no mummick. You have heard NBC presents Short Story. Your announcer, Don Stanley. The director of NBC presents Short Story is Andrew C. Love. This program came to you from Hollywood. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. And that's NBC Short Story from May 11th, 1951 with I Am Not a Stranger, written by James Street, as heard on NBC. Hope you enjoyed that. Let's take a break, then it's more of Hollywood 360 after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hi, Carl Amari here. During the month of April, log on to ClassicRadioStore.com and digitally download yours truly, Johnny Dollar, Volume 1, featuring six 75-minute detective adventures. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, Volume 1, is regularly priced at $19.99, but is yours for half price, only $9.99, via digital download this month only. Also on sale during April is Gunsmoke, Volume 1, featuring 12 stories of the Old West. Gunsmoke Volume 1 is regularly priced at $19.99, but is yours for half price, only $9.99 via digital download this month only. In May, these two collections will go back to full price, so don't miss them while they're on sale during April. Log on to ClassicRadioStore.com to order, and while you're there, download an episode of Suspense, starring Cary Grant absolutely free as our gift to you. That's ClassicRadioStore.com. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Next time, Herbert Marshall stars as the man called X. Then it's the premiere episode of The Smiths of Hollywood. You won't want to miss that. That's next time right here on Hollywood 360.